What's up, party people? It's Rico here from Source Financial, Coast of Channel Podcast, and the host of the Source Financial YouTube channel, of course, back with another one coming to you live from Manila, BGC Manila in the Philippines. If you watched our YouTube videos recently, I think it was like two weeks ago, I made a video about how the coronavirus is affecting my business and how I ended up here in the Philippines because of those reasons. I mean, I was already planning on moving here, but it just kind of accelerated the process. That being said, this video is also about business in China, obviously. I mean, this podcast, sorry. This was a video that has been converted to a podcast. So if you want to check out the visuals, go to the YouTube channel. This was, um, you know, our hiring, firing, and managing employees in China. And I basically broke down the processes that we use to hire people and what i've learned about the you know the process of hiring and managing and firing chinese employees over the years um i've probably had well i never really thought about it but i've probably had like 40 i've probably yeah i've probably employed like around 30 to 40 employees over the past four to five years that includes interns that includes Maybe even close to fifty. That includes, yeah, interns, you know, people that worked remotely for us and stuff like that. But, you know, specifically in China, you know, we've had a, we've had freelance people that have done small jobs for us and stuff like that. And I've I've learned a lot about that process and, you know, making sure that things are done correctly and you're not being taken advantage of and you're also delegating and and micromanaging because you have to and systemizing. So that's what I talk about in this. Episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. First off, uh, let me just set the scene. I'm sitting on the rooftop of the IGC Mall. This is a relatively new shopping mall. It came up in the last two to three years. Like a lot of cities in China, this area around me, this is Lida, it's like two minutes away from my apartment from here. The skyline is crazy. Like a lot of these buildings, if I pan around and I'll get some B-roll, they got built up in the last like two to three years. Like uh, the stuff didn't exist. This mall itself wasn't here. So I've seen it go from like, this was just like a park just random, you know, park area to what it is, to the foundation, to the mall. And then the, you know, other office buildings and, and apartments, condos that have been built up around it. So as, you know, China is, things just develop really quickly. It's a pretty cloudy day, so not the best, but you know, it's Sunday, decided to come and get some premium content out for you guys. Yeah, so this restaurant that I'm sitting next to is, uh, is what I'm sitting at is on the rooftop is called Lian. It's like a Vietnamese, Italian fusion type of type of joint. When you see the menu for the first time, it's kind of strange. And the portions are small. It's a little bit pricey, but you know, it's nice like once in a while, especially if you just want to come down for like a snack and, and just chill on the on the rooftop and relax. So I'm like simultaneously uploading content while you know recording this. And then there's a Japanese restaurant that's like right across from here. Maybe one of the most expensive restaurants I've seen. Like we're talking about meals that cost, you know, $200, $500. I think there was something on the menu that was close to a thousand. So I was just like, yeah, that doesn't, <laughs> I'm not quite at that level yet. Okay, so that being said, let's jump into the actual meat and potatoes of the video. So I did a podcast on how we've 
hired and managed Chinese staff with Mike. I think we did that podcast about two years ago. I can't remember the episode number, but we'll have it, you know, somewhere, somewhere down here. We'll link it up, and the link will be in the description below. What's changed since that time period is I've learned a little bit more about the the labor laws in China. I got burnt. I don't know if I've actually ever talked about this on on the YouTube channel. Maybe I should. I'm gonna tell you a story at the end of this video, but I'm gonna start with like the factual stuff. So basically, I've learned more about the labor laws. Uh, we've obviously managed more employees. I've also promoted internally, so I deal less with the actual day-to-day -day management of my staff. I, I deal more with the the management level people, and then the people that work below them are you know handled by the management. So I've been able to systemize that, and yeah, so I'm just a little bit more educated about that process. I think where I'm a better manager than I was a couple of years ago, and I'm a better trainer than I was a couple of years ago. The simple thing is, how do you find Chinese employees in, in China, especially if you're not physically in China? I think the first thing is, there are companies like mine where you know if you hire us out for our services, you know we essentially become your office, like we are your China office. So when you're working with a company like mine and you hire us on a consulting basis, you essentially have a Chinese employee who can manage your project, uh, translate, communicate with factories. Uh, when you come to China, they can also take you around and stuff like that. The second thing is there are Chinese websites where you can, like Chinese job boards for university students and then also for young professionals. This is how we, like whenever we're looking to hire, we always post on those. I, I prefer to go for people that are, you know, young professionals or college age, just because I don't necessarily always like hiring people with a lot of experience working for Chinese companies because that tend they tend to come with bad habits. I can't remember the names of the websites right now, but we'll have those linked up in the description. And they're Chinese sites, so you need to be able to write and post your job post in Chinese. The next thing is tapping into your network. So this is like with anything in China, whether we're talking about manufacturing, uh, we're talking about just general business, networking, whatever, like you need to be able to have a network and ask people to make introductions to potential employees for you. That's always one of the best things because if I've worked with somebody and I think they're good and maybe I don't have you know that the capacity to keep them on right now or maybe you know I'm focused on other things or maybe they need more work it's always good to be able to be like hey you know here's somebody that I worked with in the past and I think they'll be a great addition to your team. Those are the main ways you're gonna find Chinese employees is the networks and stuff like that. There's also WeChat groups. If you're on WeChat, you can post in certain groups and they'll be able to identify or introduce you to potential Chinese employees. Literally in the WeChat group, sometimes we'll post on our WeChat moments and we'll post in the groups the actual like PDF so people can like check it out and share it with their peers. One thing that really helped me when I first got to China was when I was teaching English. Well, when I was teaching English, I was able to tap into my, like my first for and I'm doing a video. Uh, it might be out by this by this time. I'm doing a mini documentary in my first year in China. My first like four employees were my students. Like my first interns were my students, and my first two actual employees were were my you know students from when I was teaching English. To this day, I would still tap into you know my English school because a lot of the people that were studying English at the school were studying business English, and business English is going to be one of the main like the main subjects that people study in university that will end up working for you know a trading company or in the manufacturing sector 
So a lot of the people that you're going to hire, a lot of people that you come across is business English students. And it's an actual, an actual degree. It's an actual diploma. Whereas like, <laughs> I know that it's like, I think it's one of those things that only exists in, in China, this business English thing. Yeah, so that, that was a great advantage for me. So the next thing is the, the actual interview process. Uh, I can only talk about how I've done it and how I know some of my friends have handled those situations. I think, of course, you want to talk to somebody that has, you know, some a little bit of experience. Like when I say we're hiring students, we're hiring students who have maybe done an internship already in, in the manufacturing space. We're hiring young professionals that have maybe worked for a year or maybe two years in the manufacturing space. So I think that's always going to be an advantage because then you don't have to explain some of the simple terms in manufacturing, like MOQ, per unit cost, those kind of things. That Those are the little things that are going to take a long time to teach somebody how to understand what you know QC is. So if you have somebody that's already had a little bit of practical experience, that's going to be an advantage. So I always look for that. Obviously, you want to see resumes. You want to see the resume in English and Chinese, because if you see the resume in English, you will be able to get a better idea of how they write, because that's going to be a super important aspect of you dealing with them is the reading and writing. With me, what I usually do is we will collect as many resumes as possible. And then I have my uh, project manager, Imogen, because she basically runs operations. She will then, you know, talk to all of those people individually. She'll have a short five to 10 minute interview over the phone with as many of them as possible. And then she'll, she'll actually talk to them in Chinese and in English. So she, she gets a feel of what it is to, how it is to communicate with them. And then she'll narrow down that list to the best like five candidates. And then I will have a call with them and I have specific questions that I usually ask. Uh, I think I'll maybe link it up in the description as well, um, a document to, to those questions. And it's just like the questions that I ask are less around like their work. It's more about their personality. It's some questions that I, I kind of came up with and some that I, I found from, you know, I think I think I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast like years ago about hiring. What I'm interested in is how they respond because I want to see if their personality is compatible to my company. I want to see their critical thinking because that's a big thing in China is critical thinking. Like that is maybe one of the most difficult assets to find in China is somebody who can actually analyze the situation and come up with solutions on the spot or at least within a certain time frame a lot of people are just going to wait for you to tell them what to do and you know unless you're trying to be like stuck doing day-to-day -day management all the time that's not necessarily going to be a good thing you want people that can of course you have to you know systemize your business but you also want people that can think independently or at least try to think independently or have the potential to think independently so those that's the way i structure my questions I'm also trying to see whether they learned anything about the company. This is basic hiring stuff. Like, have they done any research about our business? Have they even gone to the website? You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I've been in interviews with people and then they like know nothing about the company. I'm just like, why would you even come for this interview? So then the last thing is after I've talked to those five people and I've asked those questions and I've narrowed down who I think are the best two to three people, I will then have a final face-to-face -face interview. The face-to-face is as well to see their uh, ability to communicate in person with strangers, because uh, a lot of times um, Chinese people can be a little bit timid, especially younger Chinese people can be a little bit shy, especially if they're talking to foreigners. And uh, you know that's a big thing for me because one, my employees will eventually get to a stage where they have to communicate directly with clients. Two. 
sometimes they have to talk to factories and factories can be aggressive. Like factories can be not the most gentle. So I need somebody who can also give it back. And then also just the, our, the comprehension, you know, the comprehension uh, is extremely important because if I need to communicate with that employee directly, I don't want to have to spend, you know, 20 minutes explaining something that could be explained in five. So that's an extremely important aspect of it. So at this stage, I then send, you know, the final two candidates to my project manager, Imogen, because at the end of the day, she's going to be the person who's managing them on a day-to-day -day basis. And then I get her to, to pick, you know, the person that she wants to work with. And then she makes the final decision, the final hire. That's the hiring process. Now the managing process comes in where the biggest thing with China is, again, I was talking about critical thinking. I was talking about the independent thinking. This is not that Chinese people are not smart or can't come up with solutions and analyze issues. It's more to do with uh, the way they've grown up, the way the education system is set up in China. It's not designed to encourage out-of-the-box thinking. It's designed to encourage people to follow the system and the rules that have been set up by the government. Having that understanding, you have to be a micromanager in China. And if you can't be a micromanager, you need to come up with as many systems. You need to systemize the shit out of your company. By nature, I'm a macro manager, but I have become a micromanager because of working with Chinese employees. And the biggest thing I can tell you is like from the first day that you're running your business, you need to be writing up SOPs, standard operating procedures about everything that you do. Like it, we started writing SOPs about three or four years ago. I mean, we had some like templates and stuff from the jump, but when we really started to go in on, on standard operating procedures it was about three or four years ago. Started off with one or two SOPs. <laughs> We're at damn near 100 at this stage. Uh, and we're at a stage now where I don't create the SOPs, my employees create the SOPs and then I review them and make changes and edits to them. But the point that I'm saying is like, you need to have SOPs about literally how to log into Google Drive. You know what I mean? Like little things like that. Otherwise, every single time you make a new hire, you're going to have to sit down and train these people on how to use all these applications and also just the general systems that are within your company. And when I say SOPs, they have to be written SOPs because again, a lot of Chinese people might struggle with language. Uh, and also I think foreigners tend to, like people outside of China tend to like speak with colloquialisms and, and there's certain sentences, phrasing that you might use that is normal in your day-to-day -day life. but. For Chinese people, that might be confusing when they hear it. So you might want to, you know, write, you have to write out everything and then put pictures of a step-by-step -step process on, like we have SOPs on how to contact factories, how to research factories on Alibaba, how to use Slack, how to use Gmail, how, you know, just like everything, right? Like just literally everything, how to write reports to clients, how to, where to find X document in Google Drive. Like we created SOPs around all of that. So that's, that's going to be super, super important. The, the next thing I'm going to say is being a micromanager, but you also have to be very patient. I've talked about this in webinars. Getting frustrated and angry with Chinese people is not going, it's a work to a certain extent because a lot of Chinese bosses are very aggressive, but like you're just going to eventually create animosity and you're also going to create an environment where your employees are not open with you. They're just treating you like a traditional yeah. boss. And that's not good, man. That's really not good. Like, I think you have to create an environment with your employees 
where they feel comfortable to come to you with problems. Because it, a big thing for us is like, especially with, with my staff that are managing projects, issues happen in projects all the time, in mass productions and you know, QC, all, the, all those things. And the environment that I've created with my employees, I've made them feel comfortable to come to me and tell me that this issue is happening early rather than maybe trying to uh, fix it and making it worse because there's definitely some things that they can come up with solutions for but there's other things that have to be notified to the team and have to be notified to our clients and i want those notifications done as early as possible if they're scared to come to me with those issues that's just not a it's not going to be a good situation for us it's not going to be a good situation for our clients so i think it's extremely important to create that environment and also literally even just say it like i have to sit down with my staff a lot of times in the early stages and be like, I am not a traditional Chinese boss. Whatever notions you have of working in a Chinese company and working with a Chinese boss, throw that shit out the window because that's not me. I'm never going to be angry with you if you come to me with an issue early and we sit down and come up with solutions. The only thing I request from my staff is if you're going to come to me with a problem, have some solutions in your mind first, even if they they're not perfect, at least it's a, it's a good starting off point to then have a further discussion. I think that's extremely important because again, being in, in Asia uh, as a whole, you know, confrontation is not necessarily part of the culture. People would rather ignore things and not address them and sort of sweep them under the rug than address them head on. So you really do need to like coach your staff in, in that vein. I think the next thing that a lot of people worry about, and I talked about this in Michael Michelini's podcast, is how do you deal with trusting your employees from one, a financial standpoint, and then also two, the fear that they might go behind your back and do it themselves. Personally, similar to what I've talked about with factories, I think that inherently most people are good. I think most people are not going to do that. I think that in 2020, we have so much technology at our disposal to alleviate things like that, like tracking software so you can track what people do with their work. If you're literally that paranoid, you can literally have your employees as they're working have you know software open that takes a screenshot of their page of their laptop every, you know, what, five minutes, ten minutes or whatever to see if they're actually or what they're working on. And then when it comes to like the financial side of things, I think you should always control the money. Yeah, I just think that's like that's just smart business. If you're not physically in a country, you need to find a way of controlling that money. If you do have somebody else who's going to manage your accounting, of course you want to have somebody else manage the accounting, but you should still be the person that signs off on the checks. And for example, with a Chinese business bank account, the same thing with a HSBC account is you have a dongle. And with a Chinese business bank account, you have two dongles. There's one that's like a like the main dongle, uh, and then there's another one that's like a confirmation dongle. So. In that situation, I might have like my accountant have the, the main dongle so they can go through the process of setting up a transaction, uh, setting up a payment, and then I have to then confirm that that payment is, is okay. That's one way to approach it. With what we've started doing recently is sort of like a similar situation to a dongle thing. We have our HSBC account and we have a neat Hong Kong account, and then we have our Chinese business account. We receive most of our payments into our HSBC and our neat account just because it's easier that way we don't have to pay as much taxes it's more convenient for everybody like i you know if people want to pay via credit card and wire transfers are cheaper it's faster there's this like a million different reasons why we do that 
what tends to happen is we have obviously our uh, most the majority of our expenses uh, business expenses are in China so I will then have to transfer money from HSBC into China there's two ways I could do that or need into China I could either three ways I could either send a wire transfer from HSBC as the parent company from to our Chinese company so there's a receiving fee for receiving an international wire transfer in a foreign currency and I think the only foreign currency you can receive anyways is USD and then there's also a fee for converting the currency and then there's a tax on top of that for foreign currencies so that's not the most ideal way of, of dealing with this the next thing is I could go to an ATM which is what I was doing for years like two to three years of running the business I'd go to an ATM and then take out physical cash and in that situation I'm paying the exchange rate and the uh, withdrawal ATM withdrawal fee which wasn't that much the ATM withdrawal fee for HSBC in mainland is pretty decent but the thing with that is that there's a there was a limit I think I only take out about three thousand dollars a day imagine having like three thousand dollars in RNB equivalent in cash <laughs> it's like fifteen thousand or you know twenty close to twenty thousand RNB in stacks of uh, wads of, of cash and luckily I mean I'd, I'd always be at the at our appropriate ATM so I'd immediately deposit that money in but it just wasn't it wasn't the best system it was very felt very like I was like is this could this be 2019 or 2020 how am I still doing this anyway so that was the that was those are the two and then the third thing is now which is what we do now which I think is the best option is using payment services like uh, money transfer services into RNB so the one that we use is called go remit and go remit has been a game changer for me because this has been the number one issue I had when I started traveling uh, last year a lot outside of China was how do I get my RNB into China because I was still having to send money to you know NEAT or HSBC and then leave you know an ATM card or give a second ATM card to to you know somebody else in China so one of our employees in China so they could physically take out cash and handle business expenses some of the larger expenses like rent and stuff like that I could wire transfer direct but you know it was just like it was a nightmare so GoRemit is an official money transferring service I forget what the official term is and they're based in Hong Kong and the way it works is I transfer money from we have like a GoRemit virtual account I transfer money from our, uh, any Hong Kong bank account it has to be Hong Kong registered companies only transfer it from, from in HKD or USD to them and then I have my virtual account and in my virtual account I can then transfer to directly to a Chinese personal or business I can transfer it to a WeChat account I can transfer it to a uh, Alipay account no problem so that was like a major major game changer because now I literally don't go to ATMs anymore. Like, I, I, if I need to transfer money, like if I transfer my salary or my rent or, or the you know office rent and stuff like that, it's go remit and then you know direct to the WeChat, direct to the bank account. So that has been a major, major game changer, and I think that's probably one of the best options when it comes to making payments in China. There are other services like Payoneer, Currencies Direct. There's a couple other ones that you can use, but with those ones the receiver in china also has to have the same has to have that, that account like you're not transferring directly to their bank account they need to receive that payment and then they can then transfer it to their to their uh, business accounts respectively yeah i mean those are the i think if you control the money i think that's going to be a major major aspect of maintaining control within the business and then uh, like i said with the trust aspect in terms of employees stealing 
clients and things like that. I mean, to be honest, I mean, that happens everywhere. It's not just China, right? Like there's, there's stories of people that, uh, you know, you have employees that work for you for years and then decide to go behind your back and, and steal your money. There's one podcast I listened to from Michael Michelini that this guy had that situation where basically he had proprietary customer information and one of his main guys stole that information and started his own business as a competitive training company. But the difference between them and the difference between us is that we, our service is based a lot around me as an individual, how I run the company, the systems that I've put in place. So I think that the vast majority of our clients work with our company because of the uh, reputation that I've built up for the business and the fact that I'm still physically in China and I still I still do this. The second thing is that we don't buy and sell the product, right? With with a lot of people, I think they're worried that the clients will leave because they can get a, a cheaper price from another competitor. That's not gonna happen with us because you get the base cost from us. Like from the factories, you get the base cost. If the factory is too expensive, we just have to do more research and find a, a cheaper factory or less expensive factory. I mean, if you're gonna work with a consulting company that's less expensive than us, then you know, more power to you. That's, that means that, in my opinion, that means that the service that we're providing isn't matching the value that you're receiving. So I'm never really worried about that aspect. I don't think any of my employees could necessarily, and even if they did, that's great, but like, uh, I don't think any of my employees could start a YouTube channel and a podcast tomorrow and then all of a sudden like steal my entire business from me. You know, I mean, I feel like if they want to start their own sourcing company, that's great. I'll help them. I'll give them advice and uh, I'll encourage them to succeed. But I think there's room for everybody. And I'm definitely not concerned about uh, staff stealing clients. I had one situation in the past where one of my employees went behind my back and contacted the client and asked the client for a job. And that's because that person was working, that person was on probation with me. And the client then told me straight up, like, yeah, this guy contacted me and asked for a job, like what's going on? And then I was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, that's very unprofessional of him. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about that. So yeah, uh, not really concerned about those things. All right. Awesome. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, you know, of course, this is part one of part of two parts. Uh, the next episode, we're going to be talking about the horror story, how one of my employees almost destroyed my company. If, if you want to check it out early, go to the YouTube channel right now. It's called an employee almost ruined my my business. And I laid, I laid it all, I left it all in the court, man. I, I told a very difficult story. I was happened to us like three years ago, but I, I never really felt comfortable, you know, talking about it on the podcast. But, uh, you know, I felt like it was time and it was uh, very obviously very relevant to the topic that I, I mentioned. And we've put a lot of safeguards in place to prevent something like that from happening to us. So stay tuned for next week's episode or check it out on the YouTube channel right now. And of course, if you like this kind of content, like, share, comment, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And, uh, you know, give us those reviews, man. Reviews on iTunes still work. Uh, we're also available on Spotify if you're listening to this on any other podcast platform. So get them subscriptions up. Cheers.
Niggas get to scrapping and you hear the gas blasting. Damn, older niggas ain't got no problem with me. My mama told me to speak like you got a college degree. You see, I can't, but I won't. Cause I'm saying what I want. Plus, the slang that I speak don't change that I'm deep as the throat. On the certified freak, will she choke as we headed to the crib? Yes, I let her give me hair so she don't remember where I live. My game is tight. Baby, no need to bring pajamas, you ain't staying at night. No disrespect, I just say it polite. I drop her off before I sleep, I be praying for life. Like Hope said it, can I live? Can I live? Hey, dear Lord, can I live? Can I live? Hey, now am I living to get paid? Just slaves for a wage, are we? I can't do no nine to five, told my mama sorry.